This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Day one of the championships had everything but a crowd. A few brilliant performances, a few disappointing ones. Hugh Bowman's ride contributed largely to the win of King's legacy in the sire's produce. The Kiwi Connection struck again with Quick Thinker's gutsy win in the derby. Nature Strip was awesome in the TJ Smith, while the Doncaster produced a fairy tale result for the ill-tempered mare Natoya, for trainer Wendy Roach and jockey James Innes Jr. All being well, day two will go ahead on Saturday the 11th with the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes, supported by the Swept Sydney Cup, the Australian Oaks and the Coolmore Legacy Stakes. The championships continue on Saturday, April 11, with all the action on Sky One, Sky Thoroughbred Central and Sky Sports Radio. Sky Racing and Sky Sports Radio won't be quite the same after Anzac Day when Andrew Bensley bows out after 21 busy years with the organisation. The affable 59-year-old has been a key player in the non-stop coverage of all three codes provided by Sky, with some of its content being seen all over the world. Andrew has been Sky's resident bloodhound. He's had the capacity to pick up the scent of a racing story and follow it through to its conclusion. He's had access to most Australian racing participants who've been happy to talk to him about the progress of their horses and he's been an untiring worker for the development and fine-tuning of the Sky product. He was raised in Wangaratta. He went to radio school in Melbourne. He got his first job at Charleville. He worked for several other radio stations before landing a job with GTV Channel 9 in Melbourne, where he spent nine years. The television experience led him to a job with Sky Channel, as it was then known, at the precise time the station introduced its history-making home service in September 1998. The man they call Hoss has been an institution in the Australian racing media and I'm pleased to have the opportunity by way of this podcast to acknowledge his great contribution. Now, was that satisfactory, that introduction? I was just going to say, Tappy, as I say to, to you, uh, hello and everyone that's listening to the podcast, I, I reckon that's enough, Tappy. We might just leave it there. Uh, <laughs> you've, you've said it all. No, mate, it's, uh, I thank you for those kind words and uh, – uh, never would I have thought when I uh, kicked off in, in uh, this industry, radio and TV and racing, that I, I would have had. Uh, uh, and it's certainly not the end, which I, I presume we're going to talk about. It. Uh, everyone's thought that I was retiring and uh, won't work again, but that's certainly not the case. Hopefully, um, the circumstances will be there in the future that uh, I'll be I'll be you know amongst it, but certainly amongst racing uh, in the short term at least, Happy. Yeah, that's good news, and uh, I know people listening to the podcast will be delighted to know that it's a case of never say never. Now, mate, how are you going to handle a sudden stop? You can't sit still at the best of times. <laughs> You're constantly thinking about potential stories and interviews, and your life in recent years has been nothing but breaking stories in front of a TV camera or a radio studio. 
No, it's happy. Look, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say it's easy. Uh, what I am thinking right now is that I um, I am – the body's tired. I am tired um, uh, of, of doing a role that I've done – uh, well, it's it's uh, been 40 years within the media, but particularly the last uh, 20, 25 years, um, it's been a constant sort of 24-7 game. And I just feel like um, I just feel like I need a break. And yeah, look, it's it's not going to be um, easy. Uh, I think the garden's probably going to get a lot of work to it over the <laughs> over the short term once I retire, or once I shouldn't say retire, once I leave Sky, but. Um, you know, it's it's uh, something I'll just get used to. I must admit, uh, waking up and not having that thought of um, having to get up first thing at six or five thirty and and start chasing um, news from first thing in the morning. I think that's what I am looking forward to, just in the short term. That I just feel like a bit of a break, Tappy. Um, I'm certainly not saying it's going to be easy. I mentioned uh, that you grew up in Wangaratta and about age 10, you started going to the races with an older couple who lived across the street. Now, they were not related to you, but you were so close to them as a kid that you always called them Nan and Pa. And they introduced you to the excitement of the racetrack. Yeah, look, I'm I'm tappy. I'm not a, a religious person um, or anything like that. But I I hope there is a, a life that they're seeing, and my mum and dad are seeing uh, where I am and what I've done. Um, uh, certainly, Nana and Pa had the racing influence that uh, has guided me to where I am. Um, back in those days, you know, uh, from. The, the furthest moment that I can remember, you know, whether it was 10 or 12 or something like that. But uh, I always wanted to be involved in radio, but the racing factor with them, they always went to local race meetings around Wangaratta in Victoria. And, mm-hmm. and going back to those days, uh, Tappy, there were a lot of non-tab meetings and things like that. And I, I used to go with them because mum and dad didn't have any interest in racing at all. Um, but I used to go with them and, uh, I just worked through the years, you know, going to school, obviously, and and uh, things like that. And then on Saturday, we'd go to the races with them and uh, and, and and fall in love with a game that has uh, given me a livelihood, uh, Tappy, that I'm very fortunate about. Um, uh, you know, it is it is a game once you get once you get it in the blood, Tappy, uh, you, you're very hard to let go. It's an addiction. Yeah, it is. It, it is an addiction. People outside racing, uh, you know, friends that uh, live around where we do in Victoria, um, it, it, it's a case of um, it, when the spring or autumn finishes, probably more the Melbourne Cup Carnival and the and the Sydney Carnival wrap up, they go, so what do you do for the, the rest <laughs> of the 11 months? Uh, they're yeah. unaware that racing does continue. So, no, it's, it's an addiction, we, but I love that addiction as well. I know you won't mind my mentioning that you were adopted at birth by two wonderful people, Bruce and Lila Bensley. And to you, they were always mum and dad. No, look, they were, Tappy. Um, uh, it's surprising out there just how many people, uh, once you, now it's not a, in a general um, uh, discussion, but something if comes up and you sort of say, oh, I'm, I'm adopted, uh, they go, oh, so I, I'm, I am too, or, you know, yeah. I know, you know, I know other friends that are. It's amazing how many people are. Um, look, yeah, mum and dad are always will always be that. Um, uh, my natural mother, obviously, 
whatever the issue was uh, back when she gave birth to me, um, I'd, I'm unaware of any of the circumstances. I've I've made the personal decision, Tappy, and everyone to their own. I, I know people that have tracked down their natural parents, uh, but every everyone to their own. And I made a decision um, uh, very early. Um, you know, once my mum had told me that I was adopted, I made a decision that she was mum and um it's only really been probably a period of uh, about 10 years ago that my natural mother um, uh, tried to make contact with me but uh, at the time tappy i just made a decision uh, you can feel greedy and you can feel that uh, the only reason why i'd like to make contact is because of illness or hereditary things that maybe i should be aware of but mm. from a personal point of view um mum and dad are always uh, we're all you know we're all, are always going to be that and and um and that's why I've, I've made the decision that i have your foster father was an engineer and it seems he wanted you to follow in his footsteps <laughs> now mum supported your ambition to get into radio but dad was a bit hot and cold you tell me yeah, very cold, uh, Tappy. Very cold on uh, when when uh, I, I uh, and you asked me in in preparing for this the other day about uh, when did I first think about um, you know wanting to work in radio. Well, I I can't absolutely remember. I don't know why. Whether I was just a radio listener and I fell in love with it, but I've never ever wanted to do anything else but work in radio. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that. Uh, but. Um, Dad was uh, an engineer. He had his own uh, company in Wangaratta with his brother. The, they, were, they were quite big at the time, Bensley Brothers. And uh, he always thought that I would end up uh, doing something around that. Uh, Tappy, I can't hammer a nail in, mate. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I had absolutely no chance of being anything like uh, Dad wanted me to be. And um, uh, when Dad sadly uh, um, lost his battle to cancer at the age that I am now, uh, he was in the Wangaratta Hospital, and one of the last things that he uh, he remembered that I was there, he actually was looking outside a window to the engineering area, and he made the comment, uh, Andrew, you might be able to get a job here. And uh, I said at the time, yeah, I'll have to look into it. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, it, was, it was never going to be. It was radio that was always going to be the desire. And, and um, uh, I've always thought about what would have happened if, uh, if, uh, if Dad was still around when we had to make those decisions. I reckon Mum would have stood pretty, uh, pretty tall and uh, said, uh, "Andrew's off the radio." So, uh, but w sadly, in some ways, we didn't have to deal with that. But um, uh, we, you know, I, I love radio and always have. I'm sure some of our listeners will be curious to know whether or not you had a crack at race calling at any stage. <laughs> Well, I had a very ordinary crack at a tappy. Uh, I remember uh, early on going to those country races with uh, with Nana and Pa, as we've explained. I I you know, got to know the local race caller, a bloke called Charlie Rodway, uh, who lived at Shepparton, and he did all of the meetings around northeast Victoria because in those days there wasn't the amount of tab meetings that we've got now. A lot of the meetings were non-tabs, and uh, I used to you know go with Nana and Pa, and then I. Uh, you know, I probably got to about 15, 16, and I uh, got introduced to Charlie, and uh, and I went up there and watched him call and things like that. And I always thought I'd be a bit of a caller, but um, I was a I was a thirty seventy caller, Tappy. I, I I could get through it, but I knew that it wasn't my 
well, um, it wasn't my calling, Tappy. I um, I had to do the studio work back in the studio. That was going to be my sort of position. But um, I tried. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I was only watching a video the other day, the video uh, that uh, you uh, put together of all the callers. Um, uh, and uh, I thought... Uh, have a look at those champion uh, callers that we've had through the years. And uh, uh, I had absolutely no chance of getting to that stage, Tappy. <laughs> you had to travel a long way to get your first radio job, and that was at 4VL Charleville in Queensland, a great racing town and the birthplace of a bloke called Peter Moody. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it, uh, uh, Tappy. I... Um you know, Peter had obviously, uh, I'll go back to Charleville in a tick, but Peter and obviously uh, had made the move to Melbourne and uh, when he won his first feature race, we were, I was interviewing him on uh, on Sky and I uh, I was looking, I thought, geez, I know this bloke. Like, I, I, I hadn't really clicked prior to it. Mm. And and strangely enough, yes, uh, Peter Moody and I and Brett Kavanagh, another one from the area, we all were in Charleville at a similar time. Uh, uh, I lived uh, for a short time in Charleville with a family that looked after the local uh, employment service and mm. Peter Moody's mother, in fact, worked uh, in that employment service and Peter Moody used to come around the backyard and we used to throw the uh, the rugby league football to each other. So, um, mm. and, and, and Peter's, uh, I think, about five or six years behind me. So, um, yeah, look, it was when you look back... Uh, I uh, often say to uh, Bernie, my wife, that uh, if I had to do it all again, I would do it exactly the same way. Um, mm. uh, Charleville was a, a place uh, in the middle of Queensland, southeast Queensland. Uh, I left Melbourne um, in the morning that I was leaving uh, to go up there and start mm. the job. I um, I left Melbourne and it was about seven degrees and I had a big thick jumper on and uh, off I went. I flew straight to Brisbane and never left the airport. So I left the jumper on and I got the Charleville tappy and mm. got out of the fucker friendship and, and uh, I walked into 45 degrees <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was carrying my microphone stand because I thought I'll need that maybe as a race caller, but mm. I walked out and the jumper and everything swiftly got taken off. It was uh, – it was extremely warm, Tappy, uh, but I did everything at Charleville at 4VL. I put the rubbish bins out. I did all the, the uh, music shifts. We had racing on a Saturday, and uh, I look back now and think, uh, as I say, if I had to do it all again, I would definitely do it at Charleville because it was a great place. For our younger listeners, Andrew, I think we should uh, elaborate a little on that aircraft uh, you mentioned, the, <laughs> the Fokker Friendship. Uh, which has long been superseded, but it was a very popular domestic aircraft. Oh, look, uh, it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking 40 years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know, uh, uh, it's just gone 40 years. I, I looked uh, earlier this year, uh, I looked at the date that I'd started. So I, I know exactly the day that I started, uh, and that's mm. just gone 40. And and uh, I, I remember, you know, I, I flew to Brisbane and then I got on this plane and I'm thinking, I wasn't a big plane traveller anyway, but I got on this plane and thought, <laughs> is this going to get me to Charleville? I mean, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it did. It wasn't mm. the biggest plane. It was only a small plane, but it did the job 40 years ago. Tappy? You uh, had a brief stint at 4LM Mount Isa before you left Queensland then back to Melbourne, where you landed a job with a very strong regional station called 3TR at Sale, a racing station. 
Yeah, look, it was. Uh, and you mentioned how strong it was for racing. Um, you know, Bill Collins, Brian Blackmore, uh, Ray Benson uh, are just three that I can think of straight up that have went through 3TR before they went to Melbourne and uh, become so well known for race calling and everything else around the racing game. And uh, I was I was fortunate enough to get a job at 3TR. They uh, they broadcast uh, the Victoria meeting during the week and. And again, you know, we're talking, you know, uh, 35 years ago, roughly, that uh, there wasn't the amount of racing that we've got now. So to cover a Victoria meeting and on Saturdays, we used to do uh, Sydney, Melbourne and uh, Brisbane, I think, or was it Adelaide? Could have been Adelaide and the mm-hmm. local footy. Uh, and I had, that's where the growth came as a as a coordinator of putting it all to air. And I, I thrived on that. I, I absolutely loved it. I did music shifts during the week, but I always loved a Saturday because I knew uh, that's really what I, I wanted to do in in the future. And uh, uh, 3TR was a place that, that um, I remember fondly. Uh, I've got a couple of really good mates uh, still from there and uh, Peter Eustace, who was a race caller in Gippsland. Uh, he loved his greyhounds and still does. Uh, he retired a few years ago, but uh, uh, Peter uh, was my best man and I was his. So uh, we've, we've uh, maintained favor- uh, you know, friendship for a very long time. Just stand by there, Andrew. It's time to clear a commitment on the podcast back in just a moment. In light of current circumstances, Inglis has reconfigured the schedule of auctions for the remainder of 2020. Easter Round 2 is now programmed for Sunday, July the 5th and will be a live auction subject to conditions being deemed suitable by Inglis. This sale will cater for horses that have deferred from Easter Round 1 or lots that were passed in through Round 1. The Inglis Melbourne Gold Sale has been rescheduled to run as a live auction on July the 12th and 13th at Oaklands, circumstances permitting. The catalogue for this sale has been filled, but supplementary entries will be accepted. The Inglis Chairman's Sale will proceed as a digital auction on May the 8th, while the Inglis Broodmare and Weanling Sale will be split. Broodmares by digital auction on May the 10th Weanlings hopefully a live auction on July the 8th at Riverside. Inglis Scone Yearling Sale, a live auction on July 26. The Inglis Great Southern Sale, a live auction on July 14 to 15. And the Inglis Ready to Run will proceed as scheduled on October the 28th at Riverside. Inglis, doing their best in difficult times. My special guest is Andrew Bensley. Now, when you left uh, 3TR, you moved to the Big Smoke and you got a job with 3DB. Uh, You mentioned Bill Collins earlier. You caught up with him again at that station. Yeah, we uh, we caught up at 3DB. And uh, look, I had to pinch myself, Tappy, when I uh, started there uh, because uh, I walked in and suddenly I'm being introduced to Bill Collins, someone that I'd uh, listened to so much as a young kid coming through, listening to a radio station that broadcast racing, and um, and then Brian Blackmore and Brian Martin, and and there were just so many uh, that uh, were there at the time that you uh, you sort of thought, geez, I I I, um, I was just over twenty one years of age, and I'm thinking, how good is this? And uh, I was 
coordinating uh, racing uh, on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, I did it at nights um, uh, and I just loved it. Uh, it is such a high-pressure job. Uh, you talk about race calling being the extreme of learning colours every half an hour or 40 minutes to, to call, but uh, I love the pressure of putting all the races to where there's so many, so much activity around uh, a race day, um, and I, I, I loved it, and uh, I did it for a good portion of the life at 3DB, and 3UZ, uh, as we moved to, 3UZ was bought by the racing industry, and uh, to secure racing broadcasts, and we moved from 3DB to 3UZ at a time where uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the of that game, and uh, I absolutely loved it. And um, I still remember at times having conversations with Bill, just private conversations about um, certain ways that we did it, uh, how we could improve our service. Uh, because he was the cool cat. Um, uh, you, if Bill was under pressure then you knew that something very bad was happening Yes, uh, yeah. because uh, he was cool. Um, you've, you've got to learn to, uh, you know, play cool because while the while the, uh, the the legs might be paddling underneath, you need to be staying solid on air and uh, Bill was very good at doing that. Out of the blue, a job came up with GTV Channel 9 News in Melbourne and you got it. Now, you'd had no television experience at all. Why did you make that change? Were you feeling like a change at that stage of your career? No, Tappy, it was, it was extraordinary how it happened. I, I, I still think back and thought, how in the hell did I do what I did then? But I, I, uh, I was very comfortable doing uh, coordination and other things at 3UZ, as I've spoken about. I, I, uh, I, could, I could have still been there, Tappy. You know, it was a job that... I could have had for a very long time, but I there was a, a thing in the the local Melbourne Herald Sun, and it, it was a little story in in the sports pages saying that Channel Nine were announcing that they uh, through the wide world of sport were going to be broadcasting um, uh, leagues of the double and things like that, a part of uh, Melbourne and Sydney racing. And I thought, oh, that might be interesting because I like racing, you know. So I I um, Within a couple of weeks, I made contact uh, with Channel 9 reception and they put me through to somebody and it ended up they put me through to a bloke called John Sorrell, mm. uh, who was the news director at uh, 9 in Melbourne at the time. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember him I, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I, I didn't know who John Sorrell was. I thought John Sorrell was just in in a wide world of sports or something, you know. And, mm. uh, and uh, next thing he's saying, well, Andrew, look um, – uh, so do you do any do you do any TV work at the moment? And I said, well, look, the only thing I do do, uh, John, is uh, I do a, a Saturday night harness uh, three or four hours covering Mooney Valley on the local community station, Channel Thirty One. And he said, well, look, can you get me a tape and I'll have a look at it. So it was, it was like it happened so quickly that next thing I was being employed in the Channel Nine newsroom, and I yeah. and I I. Um, I look back at it and say, and, and say, geez, I'm glad that it happened. But at the time, Tappy, and shortly after, uh, the, the first two or three weeks when I was going out and doing stories, that I, I had I had no experience at all. Like, I I, I hadn't done any t anything on camera, you know. Uh, mm. uh, it was a time where I thought, what in the hell have I done? Uh, I, I've, I've buggered up my career that I, <laughs> I was so well I was so well placed. And I remember a, a discussion. I rang uh, Bill Collins and and said to Bill, uh, 
uh, if you got a little while uh, that we can catch up and he, he at the time was the chairman of Greyhound Racing Victoria and uh, we met up uh, at his offices there and we went into a little area and he said, okay, Andrew, what's up? And uh, I looked at him and I said, how can you get me back to 3UZ? And he looked at me and said, why? And I said, well, I think I've made a real bad decision here. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not real comfortable. Yeah. And I thought, and he, he just looked at me calmly and said, Andrew, you've got to stick it out because it'll work out. And I, um, I, I'm very fortunate that I did because uh, the next portion of my career has had a mixture of not only radio, but obviously TV. And if mm. I hadn't stuck it out, then I, I wouldn't be in a position that I am now, I presume. You spent nine years at Channel 9 as a general sports reporter for the news. Yep. So you'd come in in the morning with no idea where they were going to send you on the day. You covered all sorts of sports. Yeah, look, it was a mixture. Obviously, uh, Australian rules is uh, is a big player in in uh, Victorian uh, theme as it is in New South Wales with rugby league. So yeah, look, we had a, a rugby or an AFL uh, Aussie rules story basically every night. So. Again, I was I was going out and doing stories, but I, I always loved the spring and the autumn tappy because uh, it gave me the chance that I could say, hey, let me go out and do track work and uh, catch up with a few trainers that do yeah, stories. Uh, uh, the racing link was always there, and I loved those times because you could do a story uh, every day that you were on and then go out and cover the races on Saturday. So I, I loved that time. The racing link was all – I was always uh, drawn back to that racing link that uh, – uh, that was certainly somewhere that I wanted to end up. In 1998, you landed your dream job. <laughs> Sky Channel had announced the introduction of their history-making home racing service, and it was obvious they needed a full-time Melbourne correspondent. And you got a phone call from Graham McNeese. Yeah, I did. Uh, Graham uh, was there and you were there, obviously, at the time. And Brendan Parnell was there. And, uh, yeah, look, I I, um, I remember back uh, to those days where uh, the negotiations between all the states went on a little bit longer. And uh, I was waiting, waiting and waiting like all of us, I think, to get it going. And uh, fortunately, I was able to, to um, receive a call from Shadow and and uh, become the Victorian sort of main person. We had, uh, we've had different people uh, along the road, like Alf Matthews, and there was Clem Dimsey, the former caller, worked with us. Uh, Mark Guest, who still works on Sky and is a jockey manager now. We've had we had a run of them through, but uh, it was just uh, well, it was the dream role, as you say. It was going out at that time. We were going out and, and covering all the Victorian racing on track and. Uh, and I also, that's where the strong new sense that I gathered through Nine was a was um, something that I worked on really strongly in gathering news for Sky. Uh, it was a brand new service, the Sky racing into the homes and uh, and Shadow let me go in that area that uh, he said, no, if you want to chase some news, go for it. Well, um, through the years of being there for just the just over the 21 years, um, uh, we've uh, we've you know, uh, we've grown it into something that's uh, pretty big. I, I'm obviously on radio more than TV now, but uh, I think that um, it's the name where people will remember that it, uh, when when I uh, when I'm not doing it in in whatever period, Tappy, they'll think back and go, uh, uh, he was he. If you wanted to know some racing news, then you had to uh, had, you had to listen or follow uh, Andrew Bensley. And and if I've done that, well, then I've done my job. 
You certainly have, um, and that's exactly what you were all about, and that is exactly the reputation that you had uh, for the latter part of your career with Sky. Now, listen carefully, mate. <laughs> this is the point in time where we reveal the origin of your famous nickname, Hoss. <laughs> Hoss. Now, it was given to you originally by a very high-profile jockey. It was, I was, and it came totally out of the blue. I, I, uh, I was interviewing uh, the person, and uh, suddenly he dropped Hoss, H-O-S-S, and I, I, I looked at him, and I'm thinking, it was one of those where I let it go because I wasn't too sure whether he'd made a mistake himself. Mm. And we got to the end of the interview and I uh, said, uh, thanks to uh, Damien Oliver for joining us here on <laughs> Sky. Uh, good luck to you, uh, Damien. And um, we finished the interview and I looked at him and I said, um, what's the go there, Damien? And he said, uh, no, you look like Hoss. So uh, that, that's where it began. It was Damien Oliver one day at the races and he mm. thought that I looked like um, uh, Hoss on Bonanza and mm. um, he, he's the one that did. We've had ups and downs. We've had periods where uh, no one's called me Hoss, but uh, uh, the last uh, five to ten years people have uh, people have go gone with Hoss. I think some people find it uncomfortable to say Hoss. Uh, I don't mm. mind it. I, I don't care what they call me as long as they're <laughs> calling me Tappy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You know, those old enough to remember that famous television Western series, Bonanza, will well remember the character played by an actor called Dan Blocker, mm. who was one of the three Cartwright sons. Now, Dan Blocker was a huge man, Andrew. He stood six feet four. Mm. He weighed 145 kilos. <sighs> and he was called Hoss because of his ample girth. Well... Well, I, well, Ollie told me I looked like him, but maybe he could have been looking at McGurth at the same time, Tap, because <laughs> I, re I remember going back to when it was, and I did have a decent girth. I, I still do. I, it's a bit slimmer than what it was, but I still have a bit of a girth. But uh, no, look, it was Ollie. Um, uh, people always sort of occasionally say, where did it start? But uh, for whatever reason, Damien did. And I only interviewed him recently on, uh, on Sky Sports Radio in Sydney, and uh, uh, I, I got to the end of the interview and I said, come on, Damien, you haven't called me Hoss. Uh, <laughs> so um, I think he may have forgotten as well. But uh, no, nah, it's a nickname that um, I certainly don't mind. Andrew, one day at a provincial meeting in Victoria, somebody dared you to go on camera live wearing a Stetson, a broad-brimmed <laughs> Western-style hat, now, I happened to see this. It was an absolute fluke. I switched on and there you were. You really did look like Hoss from Bonanza and uh, it could have been Dan Blocker behind the microphone. Well, it could have been. No, it was um, a, a gentleman that you've podcast with uh, recently, Peter Mertens. Uh, we were at uh, Seymour. It was Seymour in Victoria. It was Cup Day. Mm. And uh, it was a part of one of the sponsors, Tappy, and uh, they uh, they were not giving them away. But um, Peter, for whatever reason, had one. And he said, "Try this on." So, and he dared me uh, to use uh, to uh, use it on air. So we we've got to take up a dare occasionally, Tappy, and and that's <laughs> what happened. And um, so I, I think I've still got that one. I, I <laughs> um, it's tucked away in a cupboard somewhere. Uh, but uh, the one that does stand out, Tappy, is uh, one that. Uh, Gay Waterhouse uh, gave me uh, a few years ago, um, unbeknownst to me, uh, she uh, rang my wife and 
they had a, a discussion about the size of my head, Tappy, and uh, <laughs> uh, I've often criticised uh, my wife, Bernie, for uh, for uh, giving her the size of my head. I think she guessed, but she guessed perfectly because uh, Gay was travelling to America. Um, they uh, bought uh, a true Stetson. Uh, they had it the size of my head. Uh, she brought it back and presented it to me on air uh, at the Magic Midians at the Gold Coast at the sales, and uh, uh, it was uh, it's one that gets brought out through the year, but it's always brought out at the Gold Coast under the anniversary time, Tappy, but mm. um, it, it always gets a good run. By the way, that very famous series, Bonanza, ran on television all over the world for 14 years. Mm. Sadly, is- poor old Hoss died in 1972 uh, during surgery for a troublesome gallbladder. I don't think he came out of the anaesthetic. No, look, which is sad because I think the series would have been still going there, uh, Tappy, in the last couple of years prior, you know, when he did pass away. But, look, the show's still on TV now, uh, and mm. I think that's maybe the link where people occasionally see it on on, uh, on TV and that reminds them of Hoss uh, a little bit and they, uh, they think of me. But, uh, yeah, look, it's still a popular show, they tell me. Do you remember the Ballarat Cup day in 1988 <laughs> when I was you waiting. I- you haven't you you haven't mentioned this, and I thought no, well, he's forgotten it, Tappy. But you have, I, mate. I've never forgotten the 1998 <laughs> Ballarat Cup. You and I co-hosted the Sky <laughs> coverage from the track all day outside, and I've got to say, Andrew, that was the coldest day I ever spent <laughs> on an Australian racecourse. Yeah, well, uh, well, uh, podcasters that are listening to this, a bit more to the tale of that. Uh, Tappy had flown from Sydney down to Melbourne and I, I picked him up from the airport before we went off to Ballarat. And uh, between uh, the airport and getting onto the Ballarat freeway, uh, we pass the area where I live. And um, <laughs> he said, uh, what are we going to do with this, mate? It's a bit cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I rang my wife and said, look, um, have we got a cardigan or something? Like, uh, can we can we get something for Tappy? It'll be hanging off him if it fits me, but at least it'll make him warm. So you wore my cardigan or something uh, right through the day just to, to help you, but um, you quickly realised you didn't come back to Ballarat, Tappy. No, that's the one and only Ballarat Cup I ever witnessed, <laughs> and I can remember the name of the winner, Andrew. It was a horse called Royal Caliph. Yep. Trained by the late George Hanlon. Yeah, George, uh, he always had the knack. He, he liked the Royal Snack and Caliph, but um, mm. he was a true horseman. Uh, I know uh, I went down and did a story with him on his property at Leopold there, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, because we have mm. sadly don't have him now. But he, he, uh, he, he was a horseman. He didn't worry about going to the tracks. He just uh, galloped them at his property. Mm. That's right, and he'd clock them from a utility, (laughs) which he drove alongside the horses. He was unorthodox, but very effective. Yeah, no, he was very... I've only seen one other Blake Tappy do it in a car. Uh, I had the honour, Bernie and I, on our first... or Bernie's first trip overseas, I took her to uh, meet uh, Aidan O'Brien at Coolmore at Ballydoyle, and uh, Aidan did exactly the same thing. He was driving alongside... Uh, they had the running rail, but he was on the inner, and he. But he just drove, and he realised how how uh, the horse was going, as in the speed that it was going. Andrew, I think we might pause and terminate segment one at this stage of our interview. 
segment two, a lot more questions to ask, and uh, that is only a click away. Back shortly with Andrew Bensley. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. 